He's going to put our lives at risk. The crowd seemed real, real. It wasn't just a jest as to what they were doing. And they were throwing bottles and so forth. So I was afraid for myself and her. This is Kenneth Dias, a freedom fighter. Every episode of this seven podcast series brings you to the center of a major civil rights event through the voice of an activist who lived it. Each had no clue what would happen next, all while facing the very real threat of death and violence. Their courageous actions helped to end segregation in America. I'm Natalie Boyd, a podcast producer with USA Today. This is the Seven Days of 1961 podcast. Hear history from the people who made it. I am a long life resident of Athens, Georgia. I grew up in the civil rights movement here. I was a community activist, and when I was a child, a young man, uh, I marched against the Klan and participated in the sit-ins and the activities of the cities in regard to the integration of Athens, Georgia. On January 11, 1961, the first two black students of the University of Georgia, Charlene Hunter Galt and Hamilton Holmes, began their first day of class. At nightfall, a riot targeting Charlene Hunter Galt erupted outside her dormitory. When news spread in the small college town of Athens that a mob had formed, Kenneth Dias and three fellow high school classmates bravely rushed to the scene, ready to fight if needed. Somehow we got the word that this crowd had appeared in front of Cinemiles Hall in front of Charlene Hunter uh, Dumbrum. I mean, I'm at this time about 15 years of age. So some of us other guys that, you know, were with me in the civil rights movement, activists, uh, we decided to go over to see what was going on. And when we arrived, it must have been, it was dark, uh, probably 9, 9.30, may have been 10 o'clock, and we see this huge crowd standing outside of um, Cinemiles Hall, jeering and throwing things and so forth. And the men in that shouting hunter comes out of the dormitory and leave. It was four of us, four young black guys. So we said, we better hang around. We don't know if this crowd is going to try to charge into that dormitory or not. Was she going to need some of our assistance? Are we going to be um, brave enough to go in with that huge crowd to try to help her out if something occurred? There was no police at the time. And they just stood out there and they jeered and they cheered and they jeered and they cheered. We were very afraid for Charlene that night. The crowd seemed real, real. It wasn't just a jest as to what they were doing. And they were throwing bottles and so forth. Uh, yes, I was afraid for myself and her. We were going to put our lives at risk and uh, try to make sure that she was going to be safe. We were to the side of the crowd. You know, they saw us in, in a sense. If we had to run and do something, we would have to get there pretty quickly because we still was a good little distance away. We would have not gotten there before they reached the front door by any means because we have to run through the crowd. I mean, we could have easily got injured. Somebody could have hit me with a brick, bottle, or five people could have jumped on me or whatever, but we were going if it came to that, yes. Yes, we had made up our mind to do that. 
Whether we're going to be successful, uh, we don't know. But we're just going to go and do what we had to do. The violent white mob threw rocks, and a Coke bottle shattered a window in Charlene's dorm room. A group of men in crew cuts held up a bedsheet with the N-word written across it, and underneath it, the words, go home. We had some prior experience in regard to this. We had been marching for a little while before this occurred, and we had fought against the Klan before. We had had some rides with the Klan. The police had to come in and um, arrest some people before this. Uh, so we knew what to expect. We weren't going to back down, and that was a huge crowd. I think this is the biggest one ever for Athens. Matter of fact, they had blocked the street. They had backed up from the dump, uh, and they had blocked the street. And there was a crowd up on the hill up to the next building, and there was some on the sidewalk and some in the street. So it's a good-sized crowd, yeah. Make it out. I guess they are the feelings they know about uh, Charlene Hunter uh, coming to school here at the Integration University of Georgia. The crowd was a mix of KKK members, fellow students, and bystanders, about 2,000 people in total. It went on for quite a while until things started coming up through there, the minute that they break up, that uh, you start taking IDs, uh, then the police showed up kind of gently and so forth. Then it kind of slowly dissipates. Some, there was some struggle. Uh, it took a while. It was almost, it could easily turn into a riot. I think the thing that probably caused the crowd to dissipate the most was that when Dean Tate said he's going to start taking IDs and, you know, if you're out here, I'm going to start putting you out of school. And that sort of backed the crowd out. I did not know that the Klan was out there until maybe a couple of days later or something like that. They were not dressed out in their robes at that time. But we later learned that they were there. That night, the Dean of Students, Joe Williams, suspended Charlene and told her to immediately leave campus. Five days later, she and Hamilton Holmes returned to UGA, emboldened by a federal judge's order that they be allowed to continue their education. Charlene Hunter Gold graduated from UGA with a degree in journalism. All of this occurred a full seven years after the Supreme Court's Brown versus Board of Education ruling, which banned segregation. UGA eventually led integration in the state of Georgia, but it was one of the last segregation strongholds to be broken in the country. So I transferred to UGA, uh, who did not want to accept me at the time, even though I had excellent grades and so forth, uh, to get in UGA. I had to almost threaten the, uh, I don't want to call him an auditor or whatever, the mission person, let me use that term. He did not want to let me in, even though I had the test go, the grades, it took a while for me to convince him that he had to let me in UGA. and. And like was going to be another ballot to a family. I got the letter saying you admitted to UGA, but at that time there's also other black students already at the UGA. 
I never went to class with another black student. There were some professors that, uh, uh, you know, things would change to these are the sixties. Uh, if you were in that class, and once you in that class, they didn't, they didn't say anything. Uh, they may not encourage you, but they didn't say anything. But, uh, that was a question with us as students, were we going to get a fair grade? Um, I would say most of the time, uh, I, I got a fair grade, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I give them credit for that. When I first got to UGA going to class, they said you have to take what they call staff material to class. And after my high school classmate Hood was that, he said that's something you, for you to read before the professor called the class to order while they stared at you, what you call staff material. But um, it got better over, over the years. I would give the UGA students uh, full credit, you know. Um, they kind of settled down with it after just before I left. It was it was it was selling in, and uh, a lot of things changed. And uh, I had this friend of mine that had this great idea that we should go after the University of Georgia football team. <laughs> so we went over to see our coach Dooley and told him to come out for the football team. At that time, there was nobody playing any any black were playing any sports in the South. But unfortunately, when it came in the spring of 1966 to go out for the football team, my buddy was not in school. And my father told me that I had made that commitment, told somebody something, so I had to go out for the University of Georgia football team all by myself. So I as a result, I was the first black player in the entire South that went out to uh, integrate the uh, University of Georgia football team. Close again, I got my life threatened by the Klan. Uh, so forth, got calls. I was still, I was living at home. That helped some. And so forth, during my, during my years there, Vince had made his mind that he was not going to play me or whatever. And no luck was coming along, so, uh, I did not go back into the fall at all. I had, uh, hurt my knee, so I, didn't, I decided not to go back. Uh, that's my experience with the University of the football team. Strange thing about athletics, um, the players accepted me because I could play. Uh, some encouraged me because I could play, but uh, you got to remember at the same time when I was at UGA, if you were, we had one of two members in the band, and you could not go to Mississippi if you was in the band, and we were fighting all this thing about, you know, every time we went to the stadium, they playing Dixie, and all this stuff was going on, and we used to have um, quite a bit of debates, unfortunately fights. Because you had a student that either was interested in you or they were disinterested in you. Some thought you should be there and some thought that you should not be there. And so there was a certain organization we could not join. Fraternities still had the Confederate flag, uh, things that we were fighting against uh, all the way through UGA, uh, all the while I was a student there. So I'll say this, <laughs> and a lot of people think I'm crazy. I said, thank God for UGA. I say, uh, in that regard, I mean, if I went to HBC, I would just have an average college experience. This one was very unique in that regard. And uh, and I feel like I really, you know, contributed uh, uh, to things as the uh, University of Georgia uh, developed. To where we are today compared to then, I am a little disappointed. 
uh, in the sense of um, the enrollment of black students have gone down uh, tremendously. If you turn on the television and you look at the University of Georgia football team, you would say, oh, that's a great school. It is well integrated. And I'll make the statement that a friend of mine make one day, and she, I told her that. She says, Ken, the only thing that we got down here is football and basketball players. Because you understand when you see all these football players and basketball players, they get into special amenities from the president. If you're a great football player and you got a 2.5, they want you in the school. The president can specially admit you, provided you meet the minimum, what we call SEC, Southeastern Conference standards, to play ball. So that's how we got all these players here. But we don't have enough students. But I didn't mean imagination. You almost got less black students than you got when I left my senior year. Rapidly falling and nobody's saying it. But here's what they're doing. They, they named uh, the education department after Francis Early. In my law school, University of Georgia, they have pictures of Justice Benham. They have pictures of Chester Davenport with the first black graduate. They have pictures of the first black female graduate. But do we have students? That's what's important. So is it all a show? Or does it have any meaning? That's where we are. The 7 Days of 1961 podcast is produced and edited by me, Natalie Boyd. Stephanie Allen reported this episode, and Jasper Colt produced the interview. You can see images of Kenneth and read Stephanie's full story about the first black students at the University of Georgia at 7daysof1961.usatoday.com. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about the podcast. We want more people to hear these personal stories about acts of resistance that changed our nation. Please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show, and you can tweet us at USA Today. On the next episode, you'll hear from an activist who was arrested after a sit-in at a lunch counter. He and eight others chose going to jail working 30 days of hard labor on a chain gang instead of paying the $100 fine. This was a strategic choice that propelled the civil rights movement forward. That's in the next episode. See you then.